Unraise your hand. Unraise your hand, sir. Sir, put your hand down. I'm sending secret messages that I actually have the 1990 uh, lacrosse championship trophy. Ooh, big players. And welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. And we are in the obituary phase of Syracuse football because the the world has ended. We have lost to Liberty and there is no hope anymore. So luckily I didn't watch the game because I am only so much of a masochist. So I invite you guys to tell me what went wrong. How did we lose to Liberty? Why are we this bad? Can't stop the run. It, it, it's really that simple. If you can't stop the run against anybody... You're not going to win. Um, other facets of the game really weren't all that bad. Um, the passing game looked okay. I, you know, I was eating crow a little bit. Rex actually looked okay. I think he managed the offense pretty well. Made some decent throws. He had some ugly misses because, again, his accuracy really isn't very good. But he he played pretty well, and the offense moved. The ball moved a little bit. Um, but we just couldn't stop the run. They ran it right down our throats. They were gashing us for eight, 12, 20 yards a run. And it, it just snowballed from there. And then once you can't stop the run, everything else slowly starts to fall apart throughout the rest of the game. I don't think it's all that complicated. We don't have any depth. The guys are getting tired. We have guys with no experience playing and the defense can't stop any running plays. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was bad. The, uh, I think the offense did the bare minimum that was necessary to actually win that game. You know, we had three scores. I, I was looking at the stats a little bit and it really did feel like this. There were pretty much no hurries and no sacks. Culpepper just wasn't under pressure. They didn't bother. They kind of gave him whatever. And then, I mean, Sean Tucker was able to put up, you know, over 100 yards rushing on, what, 21 carries. I mean, I think the offense did admirably. I mean, you know, I guess it's kind of a sad statement that the bare minimum is is considered admirable. Um, but I think they got the job done on offense. And, yeah, the defense just they couldn't stop the run, and that was it. And that's why I'm, I'm – I mean, I might be jumping ahead a little bit. But, man, I do not want to face Tra- Travis Etienne right now with our run defense in the state that it is. I know that you guys have your um, texts with uh, Pfeiffer during games and things like that, but I also got a text during this game from Mr. Uh, Sam Gross. Uh, shout out to uh, Stinky. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. And we were talking about if this is the low point of Syracuse football. And I was all about it. I mean, I uh, called to go for the like onside pooch kick in the fourth quarter was absolutely criminal to me. Um, I think the coaching was terrible, but I did take some time to think about this later on. And I want to put a positive spin on this in that I have to think about this Syracuse football team and this season, the way that I did when I first saw baseball coming back. I don't care what happens. I'm just happy to watch it. And I think that I'm still trying to look at this season as if it's a Syracuse football season and we're just bad. And I think that that is a, the wrong way to look at it. I think we have to look at it as we're just lucky to be watching football. Um, I'm just happy to see Syracuse play. I think we're atrocious, but I don't think that that really matters, honestly. I think that we're looking at this the wrong way. I think that we should just be looking at only positives moving forward. At least that's what I had to tell myself to not vomit on my TV screens I was watching. Yeah, yeah. To, to bounce off what, what Colin's saying uh, just a little bit, 
you get you get fans who are annoyed when you try making the pandemic season uh, an excuse. Everyone had to deal with it. Everyone had limited practices. Everyone didn't really have a lot of spring prep time. But very few schools were trying to not only initiate a new offense, but also a new defense, new coordinators, new schemes, the whole shebang, without true spring practice time. And I think that is why we're seeing what we're seeing on top of the guys we were supposed to lean on for our running game opting out some key contributors around the rest of the roster opting out or being injured. Um, so each thing individually may not be a valid excuse for why this is what it is. And obviously it, it's bad no matter how, how you look at it. But I, I think it's a unique situation where not a lot of schools are trying to initiate new schemes on offense and defense and dealing with the roster crunch of injuries and opt-outs the same way we are. So that may not explain everything, but I think that's why it's hitting this unwatchability level of bad. So let's consider for a moment the worst-case scenario. And the worst-case scenario is we don't win another game all season. We go 1-10, in and the sky is falling. If that happens, what's next for Syracuse football? Nothing. I think we come back in 2021 like this season never happened. I have, I have a very, very clear memory of the 2014 football season. We were 3-9. and nine. And I remember our team walking off the field, and there was some offensive lineman who was walking into the locker room, and he slammed his helmet on the ground and just screamed, I'm so tired of losing. And I was sitting in the stands right there, and I heard it clearly. And this has always stuck with me. And I think that our team is not going to feel that same way. We can go 1-10. It doesn't matter. I think if we are not playing some of our younger players, then that is a major coaching flaw, and that is a big issue. But I think if we let whoever get playing time, have fun, have a good season, you wipe it away at the end, come back in 2021, like absolutely nothing happened, and move forward. But isn't that type of motion exactly what you want? I mean, obviously you don't want Taj Harris flipping someone off, but you want someone who's sick of losing who's going to come back with the the mindset that we can't let this happen again. I mean, as a Buffalo Sabres fan, the sick of losing thing and the culture is has been a problem for years. So the idea of someone getting frustrated with that and having them stick around and work through it rather than trading them to, I don't know, the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues and watching a second-line center be great for forever. You know, having that passion in the locker room to try and push the program forward, isn't that a good thing? I think you're misconstruing professional athletes with college athletes. I think if you're talking about Alex Petrangelo, right, then fine, right? If you're talking about Ryan O'Reilly. Sure, okay, yes, yeah, fine. If you want to take the, you know, Sabres route. If you're talking about any professional who suffers a serious setback and then comes forward and then succeeds, 100%. We're talking about 19, 20, 21-year-old kids. I think it is bad for their future progression if they get to the point I was just talking about, where they're so frustrated and angry that they're thinking about just quitting and they're done with it. I think that is a major, major issue. So I think, no, I think when we're talking about these kids, no, we want them to have fun. And this season should be about nothing else than that. It's not. It's not just the because because it, it is part of it. Getting the the guys that we have in the system uh, some snaps and some experience, but I think it's also putting a product on the field 
that is going to be an asset for us in the recruiting cycle. You, you see, you know, some of the years that we had some decent recruits come in and such were years after we first and foremost beat Clemson, and then the year after we we went toe to toe with them. Maybe we've taken a step back now because we don't really have those exciting games, especially this year with not anyone being in the. I can't imagine they're doing any any visits to the dome and such. So, I mean, I, I think that's that's a, an important point for the rest of the season is just being in games, having an exciting product to watch and 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 showing guys that this is a you know a program that you want to be part of. Yeah, I think it's just such a strange year. It's kind of a wash, and it's probably hard for the players to not look at it that way because if you think about it, they have the laundry list of excuses for why they're bad that I kind of went over. And no one's losing eligibility if they don't want to. So all in all, it's kind of a wash. That's usually your biggest thing as a college athlete. You're like, oh, I have a sucky season. That's a year gone that I'm not going to get back. Well, now that's not the case. And yeah, absolutely. You got to play the young kids. I think we're seeing that on defense. And that's going to pay off um, a lot next year when you figure out whether Rob Hanna or Jihad Carter is really going to replace Andre Sisko's spot. Quarterback, obviously, we went over that last week. Probably not going to see anyone until after this week's upcoming game. Dino even went on the record publicly saying that his quarterbacks, besides Rex, looked like deer in headlights in practice getting their first team reps. So you're probably not going to see Dylan until after the Clemson game, if he's even ready. Dino probably won't put him out there if he doesn't really know what he's doing yet. Just for the experience, is it going to be experience if he's not ready to, to play ACC football? I don't know. But I do hope we see a quarterback at some point just so they can gauge what they have sooner rather than later. I guess I just fear remembering the Greg Robinson years, there being an inability to become competitive and looking at Dino's track record here, this would be the fourth losing season in five years with one obviously very good season. But I I wonder to Kevin's point, how much that's going to hurt recruiting and how much we're going to be able to successfully recover if we do have a 1-10 season, because that's that's ugly. Yeah, it's definitely strange. You know, you watch a guy build something up, and I, I think we can all agree, even though the wins didn't come in the first couple of years of Dino, you saw things building to that 2018 season. It didn't Absolutely. show up in the win column, but you saw the roster getting better, you saw the talent improving, you saw a vision. And it feels like that vision's kind of fading. Things are getting a little ambiguous and we don't have an identity. And I don't think it's a talent thing. It's hard to back this up right now. I don't really know that I can, but I still feel like the roster has more talent than it did in those previous really dark years. I think think six years ago, if your All-American safety got injured, whoever would replace him would be trash, not really worthy of playing major college football. And I think now the fact that even when we throw someone out there who's not ready, we see flashes of good things to come is something that we would not have seen previously. Dino's already shown us more than Greg Robinson ever did. What concerns me the most is you built it up and then you're kind of falling back down. How hard is it to get back? To play devil's advocate a little bit, I would argue that we've seen that from the defensive back spot, obviously with Rob Hanna, but we haven't seen that from other positions, the quarterback position, the offensive line position, most notably. 
So I, I, I do have that fear, but I, I, I want to try something that is in, in my year long goal of being more optimistic. What's the best case scenario for this team? Because they're not going to win out. It would be arguably one of the biggest football upsets in the last 10 years if they were to beat Clemson, given where they are now. But what is the best realistic point for this football team right now? What, what can we hope for? I think if we pick up one of our last home games, either BC or Wake, and we grab one other one, maybe uh, Louisville seems possible. Maybe we, we, we grab NC State. I think I'm fine with that. But to Kevin's point, I think as long as we are in the games after halftime, then we're fine. If we go 1-10, but we're at least competitive in those games, I think it's bad, but I think it's not program killing. I think if we lose every game by 40, then what Kevin's talking about is definitely a possibility where people who are going to come to Q start saying like, eh, I don't know about this. But I think as long as we're in games, we grab a BC or a Wake and we maybe pick up Louisville NC State, I'm fine with that. Yeah, as long as we're in the Wake, BC, NC State games and, and Louisville games and NC State. For, for me, it's win at home. You know, win a couple of those games at home, compete against Louisville, win four games. I think four to five games is definitely our, our ceiling right now. And we're not going to beat Notre Dame. And I don't know. I, I, you go ham against Clemson, right? You get up for it. And I would, I'd like to see one of the freshman quarterbacks in for a series after the, the game has already been decided and show them, look, this is what we want to be competing with. You know, this is where we want to get you in the future so that you're competing with these guys. I mean, it's not going to go well, and you're going to prepare the guy to go out there. But I, I would just like to see that, you know, after the game has been decided. And, and who knows? Maybe, maybe we stick in it for a half. You know, maybe Sean Tucker has a Heisman game. You know, maybe Rex Culpepper just, just goes balls out and just, like, we everything comes together. Because what Joe said before, we have a ton of talent. We just can't put it all together in a given week. Uh, we're like a really inconsistent golfer who like can't putt and can't chip, but he's driving the hell out of the ball. But it doesn't matter how far you can hit it if you can't putt, chip, or any of that stuff. In the beginning of the season, we were all concerned about the offensive line. You know, we're going to be under pressure all the time, and you know Tommy DeVito needs to perform. Well, those things weren't a concern against Liberty. They will be a concern against Clemson. So, I mean, the defense needs to play a lot better than they have the last few weeks. And the offense needs to keep it up, and, and, and we need to keep putting points on the board. And, you know, we need to score more points to the other team, as John Man, John Madden would say. Who was Zaire Franklin's linebacker partner that year? Paris Bennett. Thank you very much, Joe. I'm going to say this now that you uh, finish what you're going to say. Paris Bennett, after they beat Clemson that year, I saw the post-game interview with Zaire and Paris Bennett. And some reporter asked Paris Bennett if he was surprised they beat Clemson. And he said, absolutely not, because this is what it looks like when all of our teams, offense, defense, special teams, play the way they can. And I think that we still have that talent. I think if all three of those units play the way they can, I think we can, I don't think we'd be clumsy, but I think we can pull off some big wins. I just don't see it right now. So if, if you're going to twist my arm, make me put a, a number on what I think best case scenario is. Maybe you find a way to win two games, but that's not really what I'm looking for. And maybe this is a cop-out answer. Just get better. Just get better at something. I want to be able to watch and say, hey, that doesn't look as bad as it did before. 
I just want to see something where I can say, you know what, I'm excited to see what that looks like next year in a normal season, normal practice, hopefully a healthier roster. You're starting to see some little things like, oh, now we know that Matt Bergeron is the left tackle and he's probably going to be decent. The rest of the offensive line, who knows? Hopefully it gets healthier. Rob Hanna, Jihad Carter, probably going to end up having decent careers being good players. Biggest question mark right now is quarterback. Is someone going to step up and give Tommy some competition? We have no idea. But just get better at something. I don't care if you win any games. Just give me something to hold on to to think that there's hope and it's going to be better. Now, what I do want to point out, the original question was, what's next for Syracuse football after what's going on this year? And it seems like that's kind of like a thinly veiled, like, oh, is there going to be major changes? There's two reasons why I don't think so. One, if you fire your coach for having a trash season during a pandemic, it's kind of shitty. Two, Dino's buyout is like $17 million right now, which we're not going to be paying to ask him to go away. And I think that's the biggest thing. We're not going to, we're not going to pay him that sort of money to go away. So his job is safe, at least for another couple seasons, in my opinion. Joe, I've thought about this a lot about Dino and I find it very interesting that when you look at the numbers, he has not been a great coach. He had a great year. A program has gotten better, but when you look at simply the numbers, he has not been a great coach. However, when you ask most Syracuse fans, myself included, they have this disconfidence in him. Because, like you even said it before, the program just looked better. It just felt better. We just felt better about the product we were putting on the field. And I am curious to think if that has something to do, if we're all still a little bit starstruck by his post-game speech after Clemson. I'm curious if we're still, or after whatever that big win was, the one that made the big ESPN. Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia oh, Tech first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. His charisma definitely can wrap you up and and give you more credit than he might deserve. I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure I'm probably subconsciously victim to that. But what people need to remember, and not to be pessimistic, but what Syracuse football is the last 20 years, are you going to find someone better? And you're going to find someone better enough where it's worth it to start over again. And this was related to what Sam Gross texted me about. He said, if we lose to Liberty, do you think Dino's fired? And I said, I really don't think so. I I told him, I'm not ready to start over. I don't think the program can handle starting over again. I think that would be worse in the long run. We're not a program that can rebuild like that. And I think starting over so many times is more harmful than it is helpful. And if you truly think you can find someone better, okay. But we're Syracuse. It's not a given that you're going to find someone better any given year to make it worth it to start the whole thing from scratch again. I agree with you. I think, I mean, two years ago, we were talking about, we were worried about people poaching Dino. We were worried about, oh, Ohio State's going to come calling, right? Because we did just had that great season. Um, I'm with you. I think blowing it all up and starting over is the wrong move. I'm simply curious if us as fans are simply still starstruck by that speech and not paying attention to the true It's all numbers. of it. It's just the yeah. fact that he's a intelligent, charismatic guy. Yeah, you kind of get wrapped up in... Because we all want to run through a wall for him. Yeah, because he's, you know, in that regard, that's probably his best quality as a coach. And I'm sure that helps him 
with his actual job, but it also helps him get the fan base. Now, some of the stuff he's been saying the last couple weeks is losing a lot of people, and I get it. He said a lot of stupid stuff. It doesn't. It doesn't leave you with a good taste in your mouth when he starts saying like, "Oh, remember that win four years ago?" Like <laughs> he's got to stop leaning on that. Like it's not yeah. a good look. It doesn't help. Just I'd I'd feel better if he just said, "Listen, this is bad, and we're gonna get better, and we're gonna do everything we can to get better." There's no excuse. This is inexcusable. Like if he just was straight with us like that, I personally would feel better. I don't know if everyone thinks that way. So I was not trying to suggest with that question that there's going to be the type of change that you're suggesting where we fire Dino. I'm on the record as saying that no matter what happens this season, Dino should be the head coach in 2021, period, end of sentence. Barring some type of scandal that I don't think is in his character, Dino should be the head coach in 2021, worst case scenario. Breaking news, Dino Babers likes Georgetown. (laughs) Get rid of them. No, what I was getting at is like, if we have that worst case scenario, it does that put Dino on the hot seat next year? Does that does that mean that to Kevin's point, you can't get the recruits? That, that's what I'm worried about. I'm, I'm I just it, it's been so long since this program has had sustained success. Um, it looked like for a minute when Doug Marone was around, they were going to be able to have that, and then that first year with hard nose Scott Schaefer, it didn't look like they took a huge step back. And I just worry that we've fallen a little bit too far and that Dino is not the guy that is going to bring the, the program back. And I, I couldn't for the life of me tell you why, because I want to run through a wall for Dino. And I really thought it was going to, he, he was going to be the trick, but one bit of good news for, for college football on the Syracuse side is there's some news today that Garrett Schrader entered the transfer portal. Garrett Schrader is a dual-threat quarterback transferring from Mississippi State who might be able to give Tommy some competition next year, hopefully. We didn't get him yet, so who's to say? But just Syracuse has reached out and contacted him. So that's some good news, right? Sure. Yeah, any any talent you can add to the team is a, a good thing. He's a kid that we recruited the first time when he was coming out of high school, and he seems like he'd be a worthwhile addition to the quarterback room. We know that we have depth issues. First of all, we have to wait and see is if the uh, immediate eligibility for every student athlete is going to be in effect by then. But also when you're transferring out of an SEC school to a lower tier school, you're probably expecting to start. So if you tell him, listen, like you can come in and you're going to compete with Tommy. And if you're better than him in camp, then you'll have the job. That might not be enough. He might want to go somewhere where it's like, oh, if I go here, I'm definitely going to be the starter. Problem is Tommy has a huge leash because he's Dino's guy. It's the first big recruit that Dino got, especially at quarterback. So a guy like that might come in and be like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I'll definitely win that job or if I'll be able to get it. So who knows? But I hope so. I would be really, really surprised if Tommy DeVito is not the starting quarterback for the whole season next year pending an injury. I think that guys that are behind him on the depth chart are good motivation and depth, like you were mentioning, Joe, in case there is an injury. I, I don't see anybody, any freshman or tra- transfer, you know, taking his job away, especially because, yeah, he's, he's Dino's guy. But what I was going to say about you know, where we're, we're headed and someone said, you know, not to be that guy, oh, I, well, we won that game five years ago. Well, I was thinking about the game, I guess it was eight 
years ago in 2012, uh, I think it was November of 2012, against Missouri. We beat Missouri, and Nick Provo balled out, and I was so pumped. Yeah, man, I remember. I was yeah. so pumped, right? And and I, I got to thinking, like, that was a high, and then the 2018 season was a high where we won 10 games and won the Camping World Bowl, beat West Virginia, like, roddy, roddy, rot. But I was comparing the two, and they're – like when you actually look at them, playing in the ACC now is like not even comparable to what the Big East was. The ACC is a, is a different animal. We're playing, we're playing Clemson every year. We're, we're we're playing, and especially at that time, the talent level is just so much more than what was in the Big East, right? I mean, West Virginia was the cream of the crop, you know, and we had Louisville, who was who was okay, and and you know some other teams, but but I, I just think that the the level and of competition. And I know like teams like Florida state have kind of regressed in the last few years, but I just feel like there's a different level of competition now. And that 10 win season in 2018 is something to be more proud of. Uh, I think we had an eight win season in 2012. Yeah. Uh, Florida state just had a huge win against uh, North Carolina last week. Oh, and they're, they're, they've been trashed too. Yeah. 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 No, I know they've been terrible. That kind of made me think of a question I have for you guys. If you could right now, move Syracuse out of the ACC and into the MAC and compete for conference championships out of the Power 5 level. Would you take that? Or would you say the ceiling is you're never going to win a conference championship and you know that, but every four or five years you'll be ranked and compete and have a good team, but outside of that you might still have bad years. It's going to be difficult to keep up and compete. Or you could go to the MAC and be the best team and compete for conference championships every year. Would you accept that? Would you rather watch a winning product at a lower level as opposed to what's going on where, you know, it's a struggle to, to keep up in the ACC? The problem with that question is Syracuse is a basketball school and you cannot isolate that type of decision. It's a hypothetical question. It's a hypothetical question. With the football program that we are talking about right now, would you take that if you knew that the football program could compete in a lower conference and be consistently successful at a high level? Or do you care more about staying in the Power Five and even if that only means fielding a really competitive team every few years? I care more about staying in the Power Five because of what it would do to our basketball program and because of the money. And when money goes into athletics via college right, football, does, does someone who stay in college football. Someone who can entertain the question have an answer. <laughs> what I was going to say is that it is better to serve in heaven than lead in hell. I don't want to be some max school. And I mean, because honestly, when you're in that those conferences, right, your ultimate goal is to get into the Power Five. And I mean, I know like, it's appealing to make us feel good and compete every week and, you know, run whatever, like, like cool. But I think we have made it to arguably the most competitive. I mean, I know the SEC is, is year in and year out, better records and talent wise than the ACC, but the ACC, theoretically, every season we have a chance to compete for a championship at the highest level. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but. I don't feel like my fandom would be the same if we were not competing for that ultimate prize, you know, of being in the college football playoff, you know, winning the ACC. Like, I think that in the next, however long Dino is around, I see us competing for ACC championships. I don't know if I see us winning a ton of them, 
But I, I think we could win an ACC championship and some fluke of a season ends up having us in the college football playoff. You never know. I, I just like that prospect is what sort of keeps me around as a fan. And, and I think being in the MAC would just sort of diminish that. Brett, who won the AL, uh, the AHL championship last year? The Houston Astros. No, no, no. The AHL, the American Hockey League. You don't know. Um, the crunch. No, 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 I know this. I know this. The Utica Comets. It wasn't the comments. It wasn't the Americans because <laughs> no, Colin, this backfired on your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All I wanted you to say was I don't know. But my point is that Brett is a huge hockey fan and doesn't know. And I don't know either. You know why? It doesn't matter because nobody cares. Because nobody cares who wins the MAC. Nobody cares who wins these things. I didn't go to Syracuse to win crappy, you know, mid-tier championships. I went to Syracuse. To be there in, you'll be able to sit in the dome and look up at the, you know, Ernie Davis signs and those things like that. And the Jim Brown, greatest player ever, which I am a huge Jim Brown fan, though I still think that's a bit of an overstretch, the greatest player ever in everything that he ever played. But I simply think that Syracuse is still a great school, can still be a ACC champion, can still be a national football champion. I don't trade that for anything. I still hold out hope that we get to those years eventually. Sooner rather than later, I hope. It was the Charlotte Checkers, and I did not know that. Great. There was was no point in my life when I actually knew that. So very quickly, yes or no, I'm I'm, going to give Syracuse a little bit of credit here and give it a 44-point spread because actually a lot of the betting lines I've been looking up are a little bit more than that. Can can Syracuse cover a 44-point spread? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. Okay, that was can we? Will we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will, will, we have, will we cover a 44? All right, so if you guys had to put a, an amount of money down that would pain you to lose, where if you sure. lose it, you're, you're really hurting, sure. where are you putting that money on a 44-point spread? I think we will cover it. Want to, know, want to know my answer to this question? I think we'll, we would cover that spread against Clemson and not cover that spread against Notre Dame. Because I think, for some reason, we always seem to get up against Clemson. I don't know why, but we seem to just get up for this game. We never get up for Notre Dame or for any other kind of major school that we play. But for some reason, we seem to play Clemson competitive. For that reason, I think we will cover the spread. Not by much. I think we'll lose by 37, 38, but I think we'll cover it. I think I've been uncharacteristically down on the program this year and more pessimistic than usual. So it's, it's surprising me that I feel like I think we're going to play really well on Saturday. I think the first half is going to be competitive and watchable and exciting. Someone's going to make a big play on defense. The defense is going to score some points. There's going to be some fluky plays. Maybe we break out some tricks on special teams. I think Sean Tucker has a big game. I think we're going to play really well. And I don't think it's going to be as close to the spread as you would think. I think we're going to cover pretty comfortably. I don't know. I I just have a very good feeling about, I think the first half is going to be pretty good. Obviously we're going to get gassed and they're going to run away with it at the end. But by that point, they might be taking their foot off the gas a little bit, putting in their subs. In my mind, by the time the game is out of hand, there won't be enough time for Clemson to run the score up to that degree any longer. That's how I feel. Yeah. The reason I say yes is honestly not because I think we're going to 
do anything substantial uh, that would compete in this game. I'm just saying that we are going to cover because Dabo Swinney has definitely watched our game tape from the last few weeks, and he's got one of the best running backs in football, and they are just going to run it down our throats, and that clock is going to keep going, and I think we're going to have a lot of three and outs, and I I think it's going to be just kind of a ground and pound type exercise for them. You know, if, if they don't have to put Trevor Lawrence at risk, why would you? So I think there's going to be a lot of running and a lot of clock moving. And I think we'll get up and we'll have some good plays. Like, you know, we mentioned, I think we'll we'll you know, have some excitement, but I think we still lose by three-plus touchdowns. So we're going to lose 42-7 to seven and give up 350 yards on the ground? I think this is a revenge game for Clemson. I think we've played them tough year in, year out, and we're down right now. And this is where Dabo Sweeney is going to want to put the cleat on the jugular and make us pay. Dabo and I think it's going to be six. I think it's going to be sixty-three to seven. And I think that I'm going to hearken back to Georgia Tech 2014, which is to date the worst college football game I've ever watched. And I'm going to have flashbacks to that. You said your score. I want to. I want to hear everyone's. Oh, score. Um. Oh boy. I'll go forty-four seventeen. Fifty-two ten. I'll go 42 to 21. Ooh, wow. I think we'll put some points on. All right. To a more optimistic note, given it it's October, it's absolutely time to forget about football and start thinking about basketball season. We touched on it last week, but I'd be interested to hear your guys' very quick thoughts on who's going to be the team MVP next year. And where are we going to finish? Are we going to get in the NCAA tournament comfortably? Are we going to contend for an ACC championship? Are we going to be middle of the pack? You know, What are your expectations? I think team MVP is going to be Quincy Garrier. I loved what I saw from him last year. I think he's going to turn into an absolute beast. He's going to be a bigger version of CJ Fair, I'm hoping. Maybe not as smooth as CJ, but hopefully able to finish just around the basket as much as him. And bigger, stronger. Exactly, yeah, yeah. A scary thought. Yeah, man. I think that Quincy has the inside game. And where are we going to finish? I don't think we're going to compete for a championship. I think we make it to the tournament easily. I think we make it as a five seed and lose in the Sweet 16. I was going to say Garrier, but relative to, like, expectations or, or whatever you want, like like a... Oh, just a who you think will be the most important player, the or the best player on the team this year the most valuable player yeah however you interpret that i think relative to where they are now compared to where i see the jump going i might say buddy Beheim. um i think he's going to take the next step that would be most improved um i i would say he's going well i mean i don't want okay fine quincy garrier right that's boring i'd say are you you going to give out the heart trophy here kevin he doesn't know what it is I i know <laughs> oh, is that a hockey thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, All right. So instead, focus on the Vizina. <laughs> I would just say, buddy, buddy, Mayhem, and that's yeah. What about uh, where the where the team where you think the team finishes in rel- relation to the bubble? I think I think we'll we'll compete for sure, but you know I, I don't I don't see us winning the conference. I see we'll hopefully clear the bubble. Um, you know, win twenty five games and you know between twenty and twenty five games somewhere in that range. So I was torn between Buddy Beheim and Alan Griffin. I think Griffin is going to be vitally important to this team. He's going to be a huge addition. But 
Something about what I'm hearing about Buddy Beheim this year, I think it's going to be huge. I just think he's straight up going to be the a walking bucket this year. I think we're going to see him have a really well-rounded offensive game. Um, he's going to be more than just a three-point shooter. I, I think he's going to be our leading scorer this year, and I just hope that he improves enough on defense to not be a liability out there, especially with when he's out there with Gerard. That that could still be an issue. But give me give me Beheim to be the, the MVP this year, and I think we're going to be a middle-of-the-pack team that is comfortably off the bubble. I think we're going to finish about seventh in the ACC be in the tournament on we'll be in the bubble conversation at points but we won't be sweating it out on selection sunday we'll be comfortably in um as like an eight or nine seat or something i think alan griffin will be the mvp and i don't think he's going to lead the team in scoring joe i think you're right that buddy Beheim will lead the team in scoring but the reason i'm giving griffin the mvp is the defense concerns me and the defense will concern me this year the same reason it concerned me last year because i don't think the guards are quick enough I don't think they move the zone quite fast enough. And when the zone is at its best, it almost looks like a 3-2 zone. And last year, the top of the zone looked stagnant. And Coach Beheim keeps talking about needing more on the inside, needing more on the inside. And I, I'm confused. And obviously, he knows the zone a little bit better. But when watching that zone, yes, there are problems on the inside. But you're not seeing the rotations on top you need to see and I think putting someone as athletic as Alan Griffin into that zone is going to change it to a point where his defensive contribution will make up for the four or five point scoring difference that he might that that buddy may have over him so I think the zone is going to struggle again this year I don't think it's quite up to the Bayheim standard but I think they'll be in the tournament and I think they'll they might make some noise I, I'm not going to gamble that they're going to get into the sweet 16 because as i say as an eight or nine seed you're facing the one seed in the round of 32 so that, that that's where i stand but i have to admit i i cannot wait until basketball season i don't know about you guys but but i'm i'm already jones Dwart. my nfl team looks like it's uh going down the crap their run defense looks a lot like syracuse's they just they can't stop anybody who can run forward so I have no sport to root for other than my golf game, which is already a, a, a hopeless cause. So, so you're throwing the towel at four and two. <laughs> <laughs> so you played the Kansas City Chiefs last night. Yeah. Like, give me a break. What a surprise. A LSU running back right over your team. Who are you worried about winning that division? Damian Williams even ran well. Like the Chiefs just run the ball well. Like that's the Buffalo that's- Bills will win the AFC East and they will lose the first playoff game. So they're they're going to have an okay season, but they remind me a lot like the Cleveland Indians of 2018 where they look good enough in the regular season, but they gave me absolutely no hope for the postseason. You cannot win in football unless you can stop the run and have a decent defense, and they just don't have that. All bets are off in the postseason. All you got to do is make it, and then it's a totally different field, and you might not be looking at the same league that you're looking at now. I mean, teams teams mature. They evolve. Like, you know, Philadelphia is probably going to win the division with three wins this year. <laughs> and you know what? I think we could still win a playoff game. Just, hey, it's just, uh, then you guys better trade for Nick Foles. Dude, Carson went stalled out on Sunday. He really did. He played well. We competed with one of the best teams in the NFL. We really did. 
Right. Never forget that a New York Jets team led by Mark Sanchez made it to the AFC Championship game. All right. I think I think that the Buffalo Bills will, want to play. will have when, when all is said and done, the Buffalo Bills will have one of the best offenses in in the NFL. I'm not worried about Josh Allen, despite the fact he looked very pedestrian the last two weeks. I'm worried about the run defense. Getting Matt Milano back will make a huge difference, but I don't think it'll make enough of a difference. But it's it, it it's kind of already doomed for me. But I don't want to bring down our listeners. Um, I think we're up to like 16 of them now. So <laughs> I want to end on the high note and think that Syracuse basketball season is coming. Keep guys, give me one good thing this week to look forward to in the Clemson game. One good thing. Sean Tucker runs for over a hundred yards. Hmm. Uh, Taj Harris takes an 80-yard touchdown pass. We get a pick six on Trevor Lawrence. And my one good thing is I'm going to be in the car and unable to watch it on TV. Do you watch any Syracuse games anymore? Do you watch any Syracuse games? Like, why are you? Bring back Matt. Bring, Bring back, back Matt. Matt. Matt watches the games. Matt watches the games. Are you, like, bragging about not watching the game? Like, good Lord. I mean, really, when now we're just four Having said that, I wish that I couldn't watch the game because it's probably going to be ugly. All right, yeah, listen next week bad. for our new segment, What Brett Thinks Happened. <laughs> Based on the box score. Well, if you have the 1990 <laughs> Cross Championship trophy, please tweet at us, slide us into your DMs or Facebook, message us if that's your thing. <laughs> follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pod, And for Colin Lerner, Joe Shell, and Kevin O'Keefe, I'm Brett Fordham. We hope to be back next week. 